episode 96 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Frank Libretto, a.k.a. Sky Cowboy. I'm a multi-engine, commercially rated, IFR-rated pilot uh, flying out of KFRG Farmingdale. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to episode number 96 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Have you ever wondered what it was like to make an impossible turn? What it's like to be in a position where you don't think it's possible? You don't know whether you should fly straight forward or whether you should do the impossible, turn back and try to land. Well, the today's episode and today's guest, Frank Libretto, has been in that situation. We talk about just that, the decision-making process that went into making the impossible turn and how it was successful. Aviation, if you like today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot, our website, pilotthepilothq.com. And special shout out to today's Patreon of the Week. The Patreon of the Week is Scott Wiederhold. I hope I pronounced your name right. I am not the best at pronouncing names, but Scott, thank you so much for being our Patreon of the Week. Really appreciate you. If you want to be in the next Patreon of the Week, check out patreon.com slash pilot. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. Without any further ado, here's Frank Libretto. Frank, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Thanks for having me, Justin. No problem. I'm excited to have you on. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's been a long time coming. I know, right? Always yeah. is. Always is. Um, yeah. Hey, I want to know a little bit more about the beginning of your story. I know you kind of have some specific things you want to talk about, but I want to know more about why you started in aviation and why you even wanted to become a pilot or even start flying in the first place. Well, it actually started, um, I actually hated flying. Uh, I was definitely afraid of it. Um, I finished up my bachelor's degree in business management and I said, I want to continue learning, but I want to do something fun. So I got on a group on a living social, one of those uh, things. And there was a deal, take your first angel flight. And it was a local uh, flying school here at uh, KFRG. Went, showed up, took my brother with me, uh, went through the whole process, came back, knuckles were white, face was red. The school said, this kid is never coming back here to fly. I said, two weeks later, I said, okay, you know, that was pretty cool. I, I, I know I was a little bit scared of it and death grip and that yoke. But uh, I called him back up and I said, hey, I want to start taking lessons. And they said, really? And I said, yeah. I, I, I like it. It was cool, you know? So that was the beginning and the end for my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Uh, what yeah. was it about you that scared, what was it that scared you so much about flying? Uh, I think the, just it being so unknown, like the mechanics of it. Um, I was never like an av geek before uh, taking my first lesson. So it's not like I really knew a lot about aviation, um, how a plane worked. I just knew you got in and you went. And usually anytime I took a flight, even when I was like 16, I would just get rip and drunk and just get on and pass out. <laughs> That's a commercial flight, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Not, not flying the plane. No, no. I figured. I figured. Um, so, yeah. Well, how old were you when you, when you decided to do that intro flight? Uh, 27. 27. All right, cool. What? So, right. I guess same question. Kind of like what led you to choose to do this when you were so afraid of it? Was it just kind of like conquering your fear and be like, I really want to understand what is fly- what flying is like and try to figure it out to solve that fear? That was actually a big part of it. it was just overcoming that fear of flying. And the fact that I just thought it was really cool. I saw other people flying. I was watching them do it. And I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. I can fly my own plane. I actually babysat 
a kid who went through the whole American Airlines program. Um, and now he made captain. Now he's back down to the first officer uh, mainline. Um, so it was, it was just like amazing to see like how far he got in his career. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I do it? So I went, started taking lessons once a week. And, uh, you know, after work or after, after on the weekends and just had fun with it, really yeah. had fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. What were you doing? So obviously, like you said, you saw the kid that you babysat, he's out there doing his thing. You're like, hey, if he can do it, I can do it, you know? What yeah. was uh, what were you doing in the meantime between, say, like college and age 27 when you started flying to kind of get the money to pay for it? Or what kind of jobs are you doing? Unfortunately, I've been working full time since <laughs> I got out of high school, even before that. Um, I, I work in the automotive industry. So... Um, Transitioning some of the uh, mechanics of it, um, especially with a flat four uh, cylinder airplane, you can kind of uh, transition really easily and, and learn a lot about the airplane. Oh, you know, they're basically just Volkswagen motors <laughs> in those small pipers and, and uh, Cessnas, um, you know, air-cooled Volkswagen motors pretty much. Uh, a little bit bigger uh, compression to, to make that kind of horsepower and stuff, but it made it easy. Absolutely. And that kind of, uh, the mechanics of it, like you said, made it easier for you to make that transition. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, learning the air clean systems was a breeze for me. It was just everything else, whether, uh, you know, the mathematics of it, uh, flight planning, that stuff all was like, Oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I have four flights to do my flight plan? It's like, why do I need to learn how to do this? Oh, believe it or not, I, I got in a lot of trouble even on my commercial check ride because I, I took the shortcut way and I was doing my CPL with the FISDO watching over this guy. So uh, he's like, yeah, your numbers don't look right. I'm like, oh, are you sure? He's like, yeah, they don't look right. You might want to check them again. I was like, yeah, you know, I forgot that it already calculates the uh, the true course and magnetic, you know, it already yeah. calculates it all the way to the end. So I used those numbers. I plugged them in and did them again. And I was like, yeah, he he caught me. So, <laughs> what happened? Did he fail you, or is he like, no, nah, it's all good? Just remember. believe it or not, I didn't fail on the oral. I actually failed on the uh, flight portion. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, that stinks. I'm sorry. We can kind yeah. of get into that a little later about what happened yeah. there. But um, so you, like you said, you're kind of uh, working full time. You are just starting your training. How hard was it for you to juggle kind of a full time job and training? Um, not too bad because I only worked a forty hour week. A lot of my other jobs I had worked previous to when I started my flight training were 60, 70 hours a week. So I sure, I'm sure it would have been a lot harder to do it then. Um, but it was really easy because I could just, you know, I get out of work at four o'clock, shoot right over 20 minutes to the airport. And uh, we were, you know, pre-flight in the plane and up in the sky. Um, it, in the winter time, it was a little bit harder because, you know, it obviously gets darker earlier. So that made it a little bit difficult. But I had other struggles to... Um, with regards to whether I know you, you know, did your training in Ohio and you know how weather could just destroy your whole week. Yeah. Not good. Not good at all. Yeah. yeah so I, we, I highly also, recommend people moving South for their flight training. Exactly. <laughs> highly exactly. recommend it. Exactly. And we yeah. also had Hurricane Sandy. During oh man. That time. So the airport was closed and strictly used for FEMA purposes. Um, so that interrupted I had soloed right before Sandy and um, since the airport was closed, I couldn't, you know, come back and keep flying. And then eventually my, my currency ran out. So I had to re-solo again. <laughs> How long was the airport closed for? Uh, it was good, closed for a good couple of months. I think it was only open to commercial traffic. Um, so like you guys, you, you guys, you know, 
corporate aviation and stuff like that. Yeah, and airlines and FEMA and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, wow. The flight and training schools, they were not really letting them fly too much. Yeah, kind of understandable. You have a big natural event like that. It just is very unfortunate that it had to happen while you're in the middle yeah. of your training. It's like, come exactly. on, man, come on. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's so. funny. When you took your first flight lesson, was it your kind of goal to, or did you have in the back of your mind that maybe you would be a professional pilot or even get it all the way to a commercial pilot? Or was it just a quick, like, I'm trying to get over my fear, get in, get out, be done with it? I didn't even think I was going to become a private pilot. <laughs> I, 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 But once I got like the, the, the feel of it and I, I kind of thought back on it, I said, this is really cool. This is like a really cool thing to do. So I, I just went for it. I was like, I need to learn something new. Why don't I learn something fun? What did your friends think when uh, they probably knew you as the guy or even your family knew you as a guy that had to get a couple of drinks in them before you can get on a commercial plane and you tell them, hey, I think I'm actually going to try to train to be a pilot. <laughs> they, they, everybody was actually surprised. Believe it or not, my father wanted to take flight lessons when he was a kid. And unfortunately, my grandfather, he was a, a, a machinist for the Navy and he just couldn't afford to do it. So, uh, of course, my father was my first private pilot passenger. <laughs> That's really cool. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> but that was a proud moment for both of you guys. Yeah, yeah. And I let him take the controls a little bit of it. But I could see he kind of had that same, like, death grip that I had when I first took the controls <laughs> of the airplane. So. You're like, all right, all right, all right. Hold off, hold off. I got I, you. Yeah. I, I kind of figured, you know, I, I see that it's not just me. It's probably everybody that takes their first flight. Unless yeah. it gets a little tense yeah i mean it's definitely it's probably a, a good mix but it's definitely a little interesting you know it's the first time you're in a plane it's got to be interesting for the guy that's taking you up on that intro flight because i'm sure a lot of people have seen some pretty interesting things or they grab the yoke and do something stupid or like push down or pull up like you hear these horror stories so uh, it's definitely interesting yeah talking to a lot of cfis you hear a lot of stories <laughs> yeah so now you took that intro flight, you are kind of like, Hey, I kind of, I kind of like this, you know, I could see myself doing it. Was it your goal or is it your goal to be an airline pilot and kind of make this like your main goal? Or you just want to be able to get your ratings, maybe get a plane and kind of fly around while you have your other job. Uh, I think for now, um, my, my goal is to just keep my job that I have now. I just started it in January. Um, so it's fairly new for me. I did interview with a couple of other, uh, survey companies because I, I have been trying to find something um that i can do without going the cfi route and it's it's getting a lot harder for, for us <laughs> yeah no i mean there's it, it's great to, to build your hours being mm -hmm. a cfi but there's always a good there's always other good options out there but they're hard to find they are very very hard to find and it's not just that i think the they're running into problems with the insurance companies um wanting their pilots to have more hours than what's required. So I've run into a lot of companies that are, they're looking for 500 hours, part 135 min BFR. Which I'm is like, understandable because well, insurance runs everything essentially. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've even heard it with some of the flight schools. They're having issues with renting their planes because now the, the insurance company doesn't want them to rent just to rent. They want them to just be students and that's it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. It just, it's changed even from when I was doing my training because that wasn't really an issue at all, but yeah, insurance hmm. runs the world, especially the aviation world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How's your training so, been so far? Was it, um, has it been pretty easy? I know you said you kind of had that like gearhead mentality. You kind of understood the mechanics, but you struggled maybe with some of the, the theoretical and the, uh, the knowledge portion of like, uh, weather and flight planning and stuff like that. Have there been, are there any training issues? Um, no, you know, it's, it, you're always learning in aviation. So even now that I've completed my, my commercial and my multi-commercial and IFR ratings, I'm pretty much just in limbo right now. Um, it's, you're, I'm still trying to learn. I still go fly with students now to kind of 
teach them not in a way, but also learn from them to see what maybe they picked up that I didn't in my flight training. Do you find it hard to like humble yourself in that situation? So maybe you are the more experienced pilot, but then all of a sudden you're flying with a, a guy that has less experience and they're like, you're like, wait, how did you know that? How'd you do that? Teach me that. Absolutely not. I mean, some kid, one of our students just taught me how to isolate the mics on the, uh, on the intercom. <laughs> That's like, awesome. I, I've never had to use it. So like I've never even attempted to, to isolate it, but we had an issue where he was picking up weather and I just wanted to listen to ATC to make sure that everything was good. And he isolated it. I'm like, oh man, you got to show me how to do that because I've never done it before. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. You can also mute people, which can come in very handy when you're mm-hmm. flying long freight flights or survey flights. And you don't want to hear the other person talk or breathe really loud anymore. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, another story for another time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what is, uh, what's it like flying up in Long Island? I was actually just in FRG probably about a week ago and it was uh, my first time going there. We've gone to other airports on the island, obviously like the Hamptons and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but What's it like the training experience out there? It seems to be a very, very busy airspace. It, it is. And it's it's funny because even on like weekends are the worst at KFRG, especially during the summer. Everybody, every doctor, every somebody who's somebody is getting their airplane. They're going to try and do touch and goes or try and go fly somewhere. Um, and it just, they, you know, they just, a lot of these controllers that are at Farmingdale are training for JFK and, and some of the bigger airports. So, you know, it, it gets a little crazy to the point where there's sometimes like, just stay out of class Delta. <laughs> <laughs> don't even come near here. Don't even think about it. There's other airports no. to the east of us. Go there. Bye. Exactly. And when I was doing my multi-engine training, there was sometimes where they extend you out over the water uh, on a downwind, you know, to come back to, to land and practice landing. So it, it does get crazy. There's a lot of schools, a lot of students a lot of business and corporate traffic. So Yeah, and then you got to mix in with uh, the big three airports just to the west. They're not too far away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, even on their uh, weather, they or on the, when they do the weather, they say how you need to be caution wake turbulence because there's heavy jets flying like a thousand feet over you at all times. Yeah, that's actually a recent thing. They're, they're actually, the new pattern for JFK uh, puts on the jets at like uh, a little over, I think just 2,000 feet. So they want you to stay below at like 1,600. Uh, just to, to avoid that weight turbulence. Got to make things interesting. Got to change it up yeah. every once in a while, right? Exactly, exactly. I don't mind the weight turbulence. I fly, I do the Hudson River tour a lot with a lot of people. And I, I don't know, you may have seen some uh, pilots that follow you or you follow, they, they've actually uh, gone up with me. And you have to, fl- if you unless you want to talk to the JFK, and I, I don't, you got to fly 500 feet underneath that class Bravo right over the water, right where they're taking off sometimes. And sometimes you do feel that way turbulence. So I tell like passengers, like just prepare for it. It's going to get a little bumpy and just don't worry. We're not crashing. <laughs> I've never, yeah, I've never flown that before. I've always been interested. Can you take me through a little bit of like what it's like to fly there? Like how, like obviously you said you weren't talking to anyone, so you can just, the corridor, you can just fly VFR 500 feet over the river the whole way, right? Uh, so what it is, is getting from Farmingdale, you have to transition underneath the class Bravo. So we usually fly along that the shore, the south shore of Long Island at 500 feet. Once you get out of uh, JFK's um, protected airspace or, you know, where, where that, 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 that veil is, um, you can climb back up to about, we climb up to 1,200 feet, fly over the horizontal, and you basically are flying right along the shore of Manhattan. And it's like, you're like 500 feet away from like the Freedom Tower. And it's like, I can't believe I could fly this close to this building. 
after we just had two massive airplanes flying <laughs> into student buildings, you know? Is it a so, pretty busy corridor? Is there a lot of VFR traffic doing that? Um, it depends. Uh, I try to do it at night because a lot of guys do not, not do it at night. Um, during the day, there's a lot of helicopter traffic because there's so many companies doing the helicopter tours there now. Um, so it does get a little crazy during the day. I rather do it at night when people are probably in Manhattan at a show and not flying, you know, around in a helicopter. Yeah. That's so. pretty smart. Wasn't there the, was that where the helicopter crashed? Because one of the, I think the fuel start or the, um, the fuel shutoff got pulled and the helicopter crashed. Correct. We've had a lot of incidents in the Hudson River. Years and years ago, before there was even a corridor, there was an incident where a helicopter actually took off vertically into an airplane. And that's kind of where I think the uh, Hudson Corridor rules started coming into effect. Okay. So. Interesting. Is that something you highly recommend someone do? Or do you, is it like a, a, should it be a bucket list item for most pilots to fly the Hudson River Corridor? I think so. I, I've, I've done a couple of bucket listings. Like my first one, even before I had my license, I flew, took off from Santa Monica to land at Catalina Island. And the, the instructor that I found online, he let me do the whole flight, let me land. And I was like, he's like, oh, yeah, you're good. I'm like, you let me land? He's like, yeah, I didn't help you. You're, you did the whole thing by yourself. And I was like, that's cool. Like I always wanted to land there. I even didn't even have my license yet. <laughs> That's really cool. You're like, wait, uh, what? The, the Hudson is definitely <laughs> a bucket list item for anybody. Yeah. You're like, wait, I thought you were landing the plane. How do we get here? <laughs> yeah. It got crazy. And then he was the one who showed me how to do my first forward slip into landing because doing that transition over LAX, which is, is crazy. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a good, a bit of experience from like East and West. Do you try to make your, make your flying fun and kind of mix it up in the places you go? You know what? Anytime I travel, I always bring my headset with me. I always bring my license with me. Um, I try to hook up with people, you know, and see if we can go flying, you know, in all these different areas because it gives you really a lot of different experience, um, especially out in like L.A. where you got a lot of mountainous terrain that's so close to the city uh, as opposed to like Long Island and New York where it's just all flat and it's so boring sometimes. <laughs> but there's a lot of places to land, right? Yeah, yeah we got plenty of airports. <laughs> yeah, ton of airports. Yeah. Do you find it difficult flying in different places? Because obviously, like you just said, you're so used to, so say you do all your training in Long Island and you're so used to the topography of Long Island and what's going on there. But then all of a sudden you, you find yourself in, in Los Angeles. And like you said, the, there's still that traffic. It's still really busy, still a ton of airports, but it's all different. There's different rules. There's maybe not the same corridor that you're used to, but there's other corridors and trying to figure it out. Was that difficult kind of transitioning? Uh, I, you know, I think about that all the time because things happen so quick in major cities uh, with ATC that I'm like, you know, it, it's kind of crazy to think that, like, you have to take all your knowledge that you have from learning in one spot and apply it to a new new area. And that's why it's good flying with somebody that's familiar with the area because they kind of give you, like, the little nuances. Like, I didn't know when you take off from Santa Monica, you got to make a 10-degree left turn over the, the golf course. <laughs> Either did yeah. I. I've also never yeah. been to Santa Monica though, but that's good yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty great. It's, it's just like a little, I mean, it's obviously it's in the notums, um, but like, you know, as a, as a pilot flying with somebody else, you kind of expect them to know that stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So when you go to a new area and you go fly, do you try to seek out a CFI to maybe sit with you to go fly or how do you normally go about that? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Or I just find one of my Instagram followers and I DM them. And I'm like, Hey, uh, you want to fly? You want to try and get a plane so we can go fly? And sometimes they're like, yeah, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they flake out on you because like either the weather's no good or they couldn't get a plane. And yeah, that's fine. Whatever. At least they tried. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's cool. I've, I've definitely talked to other people that use their resource of Instagram followers to kind of hang out and find cool places to go fly. And it seems to, to open up a lot of cool opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you were talking to me in the DMs a little bit, and we talked more about this before about uh, an impossible turn. Do you want to talk oh, yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah. So it, it, it's it is possible. <laughs> the the only the only way it's possible is if you have partial power and you have the right conditions. So I was doing my commercial time building. Um, a lot of it I was doing solo because like I wanted to do it at night after work. A lot of people didn't want to fly at night. This one time, I just happened to get a CFI that wanted to build some time. So he came along for the ride. It's cold. It's winter. Um, you know, we, we figured, okay, we'll get there in a decent amount of time. The airport at Farmingdale was going to close their runway. So we had to get there and back quick. So we're flying along. I had to lean it out like crazy, even at like 3,000 feet. It's just the, the altitude, you know, the pressure altitude was just causing us to have to lean it out like crazy. So we get to Providence, everything's fine. I put in full mixture for landing. We land, taxi back, didn't do any sort of run up because I figured, you know, the plane was just running fine, we're on the ground, let's just take off, get back to Farmingdale before they close the runways. Uh, we take off, everything was fine until about five or 600 feet, the engine started going pop, 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 and just making, you know, like that noise that you don't want to hear where you think it's just going to die. And I'm thinking, okay, it's nighttime. I'm going to have to find somewhere to land in the dark because Providence is not lit up like Farmingdale is. And <clears throat> I asked the CFI, I said, I asked him for his input. I said, what do you think? He said, turn right now. And I'm like, turn? He's like, yeah, make a 180 degree turn. So he grabbed the controls. We made a 180 degree turn. I contacted the tower at Providence. I said, we're making a, an immediate turn back to the same runway we just took off from because obviously there's a lot of FedEx that flies out of there. And all I could keep thinking about is that there's going to be a jet taking off while we're coming back for the runway. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we landed. It was the longest landing I've ever had in my life because you have a tailwind. And, you know, we went back to the FBO. We calmed down. I called the school's uh, operations manager. I said, hey, what do you think I should try? They said, listen, just try and run it up. Try and run it lean. Maybe it's a foul spark plug. And, like, uh, we went back, did a run-up. It was still doing the same thing. I tried everything. I said, we're just going to leave the plane here and rent the car and drive back. Because at that point, we weren't making it back to Farmingdale before they closed anyway. So, um <clears throat> it, it just it was it was absolutely crazy and we had to fill out an instant report as a, as the PIC I had to fill it out so <laughs> we didn't declare an emergency so it wasn't as crazy <laughs> absolutely what was um so obviously like you said flying to Providence the only kind of indication might have been it was flying really lean that's the only thing maybe well I think what happened was from flying it lean and then putting in mixture abruptly uh, to land it just fouled the spark plugs out and we just we just didn't give it enough time to clear out. So. Gotcha. So then you were you're on the ground. Uh, were you rushed at all to come back? Did you do a proper run up before you guys were taking off before Providence? Uh, when we were taking off from Farmingdale, we did a full run up. Yeah, it was just that that 
trying to get it back to Farmville before they closed. It was kind of rushed, and it, it, we really should have just said, "All right, scrap the whole idea." <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that kind of like I don't necessarily think it's a get their itis thing, but how these emotions and how kind of these timelines and how the pressure you might set on the flight or yourselves or outside pressures can really kind of speed you up a little bit. You know, it can be like, all right, dude, we got to go, 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 go. could be weather, could be anything, could be an airport closure, but it's just really mm-hmm. interesting how a lot of times and sometimes, and it could be, it's usually related that bad things happen when you feel rushed, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, you know, you have to learn from those experiences and just say, if it's going to be a time crunch thing and it's not necessary that we go, Let's just not go. Yeah. When you were taken off and say you're like a couple hundred feet and all of a sudden you heard that, that kind of that stutter, the pop, 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 what was going through your mind immediately? Were you like, oh crap, I'm in trouble. Like I'm going to die. Or were you kind of like, did your training just kick in? You're like looking for places to land, figuring out what to do. I always thought in an emergency situation, I'd be the type of person that's going to freak out because I was afraid of flying. I was like, this is it. This is how I go. And believe it or not, your instructors, they know you better than you know yourself. And they, they tell you, you're going to know what to do in that situation. And I, it, it was a complete instinct that I just remained calm, you know, assess the situation. And I at least had somebody else with me that can help, you know, with the, you know, the process of, you know, getting this plane on the ground safely. So we survived the, you know, yeah. incident. What was, um, did, did you feel like that moment slowed down? Did you feel like you were kind of in the air forever? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, even though the landing probably wasn't as long as I thought it was, it felt like we were on that runway as soon as we touched down forever. (laughs) (laughs) What was the moment when you landed? Did you guys like hug and have this big like thing? Like, Oh my gosh, dude, that was crazy. Oh, it was as soon as we got to the FBO, it was just like, all right, we were just here. (laughs) Start kissing the ground. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Did that scare you from going back up to fly or were you still motivated to fly? No, I actually wasn't scared after that. Um, I actually went back to the airport the next day to see if they wanted me to go back and try and figure out the problem and fly it back for them. And they had already made arrangements. So I was definitely eager to just get back and, and just just not let it let, you know hold you back from, from wanting to fly. Right. I mean, that's hard. That's one of the things. So I had an engine failure and we had to land off field. And one of those things was it was there's a little bit of fear about getting back in the airplane. And I kind of told myself the longer I let that fear take over me and the longer that I let that fear affect me flying at the, the less chance I have of getting back in an airplane and wanting to do this. So the best thing you can do when something like that happens, I mean, obviously make sure you're, you're mentally ready, physically ready. Like it's not, maybe it's not smart to do it like a couple hours afterwards. It's good to take a day or two off, but it's, it's good. You need to get back in that plane. You need to go back up and fly and you need to understand kind of what happened, why it happened and learn from it. Like you said, if it, I mean, it's, we learn from our mistakes. We learn from other people's mistakes. It's a very unforgiving um, industry and a very unforgiving job that we have. But if we have the opportunity to learn, then it's learn and apply and teach other people. Yeah. And it's unfortunately, it's not the first time I heard that, that sound where the engine uh, just wanted to quit. We had had one other incident um, after that. Oh, dang. After it. Um, Did you have to totally make another turn like that? Uh, well, it was totally my fault. Uh, we had, uh, I was, Finished my instrument rating, and the instructor I did my instrument rating with was like, hey, let's go build some time. Let's go out and have uh, breakfast at Block Island. I said, sure. He's like, why don't you fly right seat so you get a little used to it? And I said, okay, that's fine. And he was still thinking I was going to become a CFI. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. But, <laughs> and, you know, we're in those, those Piper Cherokees, and they're not like the Cessnas where you, you got a constant feed from both tanks. So we took off. We were flying along. Switched the tanks maybe once or twice on the way out there. 
part of the checklist tells you switch to the fullest tank before you land. I was like, ah, no, I'll just take it. I'll just switch to that tank before we take off. Had breakfast, got back in the airplane, took off. Guess what I forgot to do? Switch the tank. I forgot to switch the tank. So we got <laughs> all the way over uh, Islip Airport, and the engine started doing the same thing. Put, 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 put. And I was like, oh, boy. So we turned immediately towards Islip Airport. He was doing the radios, declaring an emergency. I, got, I went through the checklist, you know, checked fuel, mixture, everything. And I looked at the fuel gauge, and it was zero on the tank that we were on. <laughs> so we switched tanks. The plane started running perfectly, and we canceled the emergency and flew back to Farmdale. Yeah, it's amazing what can happen when you put fuel in the engine, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so, I was doing when I was doing my time building. I was flying a, a Cessna three ten, and I was help, teaching my buddy how to fly it for the company that we're at. And we were doing kind of the same. I mean, not really the same thing, but we're flying around in a three ten. You have multiple fuel tanks. You know, you select on the time goes out, and you, you can run them dry. And he never put it in the, the he, he switched tanks when he needed to, but he never put it in the full ident. And so about like three seconds later, it just started. All of a sudden, the left end just started sputtering, and. I, and Immediately, like you said, like your training kicks in. Like first thing I think about fuel, and I reached down and I felt the fuel handle. I knew that it wasn't the idea, and just put it back in. And, and a second later, boom, it's back and it's running perfectly. Mm, yeah, it, it's it's amazing what you, you know. The littlest thing that you that you pick up from your training is like the first thing you go for. Like, all right, that's it. You know, I gotta go through this checklist real quick. And oh man, it was like <laughs> this is something told to me in training, and I should have thought about that first. But it, it <laughs> mean, all worked out for the best. That's so. what checklists are for. You know, it's like that's so you can. Everyone reacts different in different situations. Like, obviously, you didn't freak out. You said you're kind of calm and cool in those situations, which is awesome. But if even if you're freaking out, like the best thing you can do is just take a deep breath, read that checklist, and do everything you can to, to get the plane on the ground or figure out the situation because the checklist has been written because it's happened to someone before or they know it's a possibility and they kind of know what to do to, to correct the situation or give you some more time to land. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what the FAA now is really hard on um, uh, fuel starvation and, and they're really like going after a lot of the, that because it's becoming a major problem. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a pilot induced thing a lot of times too. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. What, um, what would, so obviously you, you did your training a little bit later than what most do. A lot of them are doing their training when they're really young. What would you say to someone right now that maybe has a full-time job, has always wanted to be a pilot, but it's kind of like afraid to make that transition to go for it. Do you have any advice to give to someone that is kind of in that, I don't know, like I want to do it, but I already have this job and I'm kind of really comfortable here. Um, so what I would say is if you have the time to commit and you have the funds to commit, uh, I wouldn't do it the way I did. I was racking up credit cards like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> um, I just do it. If it's something you enjoy and it's something that you love, just do it. Just make sure that you commit the time because a lot of times I see guys, they start, they stop, they start, they stop. And you, you have to start all over again um, when you have that long of a break in between uh, trainings. So you'd recommend them to have, if they have the funds available to just do it, just go for it and set aside time so you don't find yourself having those long breaks? Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, like the, did that long break with Hurricane Sandy, how how much did that push you off on your training? Uh, it, it delayed me by about three months. Yeah. And when you so, finally had the opportunity to go fly again, did you find yourself really rusty or did it come back pretty quick? A little bit. I mean, we had to do a couple of landings and takeoffs before my uh, instructor could re-solo me again. So, but he, you know, it, it, after those couple of landings, you, you kind of, muscle memory takes over again. And it's like, all right, this, this is how you got to do it. Yeah. 
That, I mean, that's definitely true. There's a, so when I played sports in college, there's a lot of times where I had to take the really long breaks and it was in the middle of my training. And every single time I came back, like it was like I had a battle with myself to figure out how to do it and try to train myself how to fly again. And it was so frustrating. Like it happens multiple times. And it's just like, this is just tough, man. Like I don't have the ability to just set aside all this time to do it. So I definitely agree with you that it's important if this is something you want to do and you're making this change to just set that time aside, block it out, give yourself a month, like try not to do anything, try to get stuff done as fast as possible. Yeah. And the other thing I say is be realistic with your goals too. Um, if you want to make it a career, make it, you know, start from day one as, as that's what you want to do because you'll become a better pilot. Um, if you know that that's your ultimate end goal. What about, what do you say to the pilot that's not doing this for a career? Do you have any uh, suggestions for them of how to still be the best pilot they can or how to continue learning? Uh, sign up for as many things as you can. AOPA has a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of training or free um, advice online, um, daily emails that can get sent to you that give you a little bit of heads up. Um, you obviously have to stay with it and keep learning. Um, obviously because the FAA changes rules all the time and, <laughs> uh, you know, things just change in the industry. So, you know, so quickly. So you, you really want to just find stuff that will be automatic and, and keep you up to date on, on, you know, what's going on in flying. Yeah, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. All right, Frank, I got some rapid fire questions for you. It's just gonna be the, just going to be some very basic aviation based questions. And you say the quickest and first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. We'll see how quick I am. Yeah. What's your favorite airplane? Favorite airplane? I would have to say the A-10 Warthog. What's the favorite airplane you've ever flown? Uh, the Pitts S2C. Oh, cool. That's fun. Do you have a, a favorite corporate airplane or favorite airline airplane? Um, no. I, if you were going corporate, I'd say the Global Express uh, lineup. They, they just It's such a versatile plane, and it looks so huge on like a small like ramp. It is massive. They are huge. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of tend to like, I'll catch some flack for this, but I kind of tend to like globals over Gulfstreams just because I think they look a little bit bigger and they look a little bit more like, I don't know, more like intense and kind of mission ready where the Gulfstream to me seems like a very skinny tube. Yeah, exactly. But they're both great. All right. What's the ugliest airplane you have ever seen? Oh, uh, we all know it's a Piaggio. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I liked you for a reason. Here's one. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? How expensive it would be. Yeah. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? Could be living or dead. Uh, I actually have met Captain Sully. Oh, cool. So I, if I never met him, he would be one of my biggest inspirations. Um, other than that, in the industry, I want to meet everybody, man. <laughs> there I you meet go. Everybody, because everybody's got a story to tell and something to teach you. Absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah, I got any contacts with Solo, you know, kind of sliding those DMs, let him know, hey, there's a dude, pilot the pilot, he's got a podcast, go tell your story. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Uh, the, the community. Everybody's like really tight-knit, um, very positive, uh, motivational, uh, constantly trying to push each other, but not in a way that's like unsafe. Yeah. What's the hardest approach you've ever had to fly? Hardest approach. Uh, I actually didn't fly it because <laughs> it was just so bad. During my instrument training, uh, we were flying the uh, GPS 19 uh, into Farmingdale, and it was right at minimums. And I had not flown a lot of actual IFR, so I flew it as long as I could, and I just, I just had to give up control. <laughs> <laughs> your turn. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to do exactly. this anymore. <laughs> What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Favorite airport? It would have to be Catalina Island. 
That was what, a cool landing. What's your least favorite airport you've ever landed at? Uh, I don't know if I've ever had. Uh, no, I do. Um, <laughs> and it's, I just hate flying there in general. It's Brookhaven Airport. Uh, it's like kind of nestled in between uh, West Hampton and Islip. It's a small, uncontrolled field, but it's a busy one. And for some reason, the winds there just always are like difficult. Yeah. That's funny. So. Everyone has that one airport. They're like, oh, I hate this place. Yeah. yeah. And I actually, my, my commercial uh, examiner took me there to do my, my landings. No way. You're like anywhere but here, please. Exactly. Exactly. Like hitting that, hit that spot landing. He wanted me to hit the second uh, center line off the, you know, off the threshold. I'm like, oh, geez. And I nailed it. Thank God. <laughs> You're like, I'm never coming back here ever again. Bye. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you are uh, flying a commercial flight or no, let's do this. You're flying your general aviation airplane. You're going out for a quick bite to eat. Maybe you're going somewhere and the FBO is a, a crew car, or a rental car for you. Where are you going to go to get food? What's your like go-to food when you're on the road? Oh, I always like to find something local. I hate eating at like chain restaurants. So I'll do like a quick Yelp of where I'm going and find like the best Mexican or the best, uh, you know, just whatever they're known for in that area. And try and go eat there because I, I love to eat like local food and try new places. Perfect. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? I love flying over the beach. It's it's beautiful. We have beautiful beach here. I was going to try and do banner towing for Long Island uh, in the summer, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, what is? Let's see. Airbus or Boeing? Uh, I'm going to say Boeing. The unfortunate thing is. All the carriers I fly, flight A320, you know, that style. And it's like, that's all I ever fly in is, <laughs> is Airbus. Yeah, it seems to be a popular choice. Would you rather yeah. fly one long flight of maybe like three to four hours or multiple short trips in a day? Uh, I actually like long flights, um, but it depends on where, what kind of airports I'm going to. If I'm like doing like a trip for fun, it might be cool to see like a lot of different FBA. Yeah. Have you had a bad experience with someone you've been flying with? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, unfortunately, uh, we we were going to Atlantic City uh, just for a quick time building thing, and this kid—I'm not going to mention names—but this kid, <laughs> I, I had, had to use the bathroom really bad. My stomach was killing me. I was like, I can't fly anymore. You're going to have to fly the plane and land it from the right seat. Yeah, he didn't use flaps. Oh, wow. Like for just for and fun or didn't know about it? Or? For, no, no. He had his license uh, and for whatever reason, he liked to just come in like a jet pilot. And I was like, bro, I was like, we got 10,000 feet of runway here at Atlantic City. When we go back to Farmingdale, you have to use flaps. And we came back to Farmingdale and he didn't use flaps again. And I never flew with him again. So he just likes to land with no flaps at all times. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Well, supposedly he's changed, but I don't think I I've ever heard that before. I think that's the first time I've ever <laughs> heard that someone prefers to land or tries to land with no flaps all the time. It was absolutely crazy. Interesting. <laughs> what is the hardest check card you've ever had? Um, the hardest would be my commercial. Yeah. With, believe it or not, I mean, they say by your commercial, you're supposed to be like an expert, but uh, doing it with the FAA there sitting in the back seat. It makes it a little bit more nerve wracking. Absolutely. And of course, the examiner is going to be a little bit more tougher on you. So, did you fly with the same? Have you, did you, wow, sorry, let me start that over. Did you do all your check rides with the same examiner or do you always have a different one? 
Uh, I've used one, two, three, three, four different examiners. All right. So I didn't know if you like had a, a relationship with the examiner and if you could notice that he was a little bit different with that check ride or not. No, no. I've, I've flown, I flew with an examiner. Uh, I was told, listen, if he wants to light a cigarette in the airplane, just let him. And that's how old school this guy was. And he's not an examiner anymore, unfortunately. Uh, uh, medical conditions prevented. But because um, he smoked in too many airplanes while I was doing yeah, check rides. No, no, it wasn't <laughs> even that. It was, it was some other medical issue. Yeah. He just couldn't get his medical oh, uh, dang. issued. But uh, he was actually a really cool examiner. <laughs> I really enjoyed him. He was when I did my private pilot with, with. So, what was? Uh, did you notice? I asked this. What was different about having the FAA there? Like, what made it so nerve wracking? Could you tell that he was trying to look for a reason to fail you, or was he pretty like cool and open and like not too like intimidating? Well, on the oral portion, he had thrown, or he had had the examiner throw me a curveball in regards to uh, aerial tours and whether or not you can be compensated for them, because there is a rule that there is a distance restriction. That I didn't know about. I just said, well, no, you can't. You, well, yeah, you can get compensated for aerial tours, but it has to be to the same airport. And he's like, no, that's not true. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's something else. And I couldn't, I was looking in the far aim everywhere. Nothing in the far aim said aerial tour. So I was looking, looking, and he's like, well, I mean, he kind of gave me a break. He said, listen, you know, this is where it's at. And there's a 150 nautical mile distance rule. And I'm like, well, who's going to go 150 nautical miles to do an aerial tour? Like, that's just seems like a really ridiculous uh, rule that the FAA has. The other part of it was having that extra weight in the airplane definitely made the maneuvers a little more difficult. I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's a thing. You never yeah. really trained with a person in the back there. And all of a sudden you got on your, on your check ride on the big day, you got someone else back there. Exactly, exactly. And I kind of knew that was going to be a problem. I was trying to squeeze in like a check ride with a third person in the back to do like all those commercial maneuvers, but just time didn't allow it. And the first maneuver I did was a uh, steep turns and there was no horizon. So it was a hazy day. And I just put that steep turn into an accelerated stall and that was it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that, would, so, that would do it. <laughs> all right. And then it's like, and then from there, I tried to continue just to finish everything else up. So that's all I'd have to do. Yeah. And it was just one, it was just one mistake after another. And I just said, okay, we're just continuing this. I'm going back. Yeah. It's like, all right, I failed. I know I failed. Bye. I don't want to see you again. Exactly. Exactly. Did, when you so. did your, uh, the second check ride, when you did that check ride again, did you have the FA with you again or were you, was he all by himself? No, it was just with the examiner. Was that a million times better? Uh, yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> despite going to Brookhaven. But. Yeah, despite having to go to Brookhaven, yeah. Was it worth it? Would you rather have three, or would you rather have two examiners and never go to Brookhaven or have one examiner and have to go to Brookhaven? Oh, no, I'll go to Brookhaven. I'll go to Brookhaven. <laughs> I'll never do with the FAA again. That's it was a, just, it was too nerve wracking. That's really funny. All right, here, I got one for you. What is the biggest regret you have so far in your short aviation career? That I didn't do it sooner. Yeah. What yeah. is the biggest win of your aviation career? Um, biggest went jeez overcoming uh, your fear of flying maybe? I think that's gonna I think yeah. that would probably be the, the number one yeah absolutely what uh, CRJs or ERJs do you have a preference to fly on which one or they both uh, just suck in general they both suck <laughs> <laughs> Piper or Cessna uh, Piper part 141 training versus 61 training uh, I did everything 61 so would you I highly really recommend that um, it depends if yeah. you need to get a loan. Um, I think the only way you can do it is part 141. So, okay. 
Um, if that's the route that you have to go and, and do a student loan, then yeah, you have to go part for 141. But part 61 is cool. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's a little bit more laid back. It's not as regulated and regimented. So, what is your favorite airline livery? Uh, I don't. I don't have one particular airline. I just love all the special livery li- okay. that liveries that they do. Um, it, especially the frozen one, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my niece, she's a big frozen fan. So that's it's awesome. like, oh, there was a cool livery in there in San Francisco. So like they got to, you know, actually see it. And that's cool. I think they actually might've flown on it too. So. Oh, nice. Do you have a least yeah. favorite airline livery or are you just kind of the same way? You just, if, unless it's a, a retro one or kind of a cool <laughs> one, you don't really care. I don't really like allegiance. Okay. I mean, that's fair enough. I don't yeah. really think there's too many people that go out there claiming how much they love allegiance paint scheme. So. <laughs> Nah, it's, it's just, it's too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I haven't really talked to too many people that have ever flown on Allegiant. So that's another, yeah. that's another uh, topic. I've never flown them, I just, just in general, you know? Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, those are pretty much all the rapid fire questions I have for you. My last kind of uh, wrap up question is you have someone listen to this podcast and they're kind of in a similar situation as you. Maybe they're afraid of flying. Maybe they're career changing. Maybe they're just starting later in their life. They have some questions like uh, just, you have three tips for them to getting into this career or just starting flying and getting over that fear. Definitely take an intro flight. If you want to get over your fear, uh, I highly recommend that. I know there's a lot of people or a lot of psychologists out there that do like emotional intelligence training. That doesn't involve getting an aircraft to try and get over that fear. The only way you can get over it is to actually get an aircraft and see what it's all about. Um, as far as training later in life, um, save up your money first, uh, especially if you could do a part with, uh, 61 without a loan. Um, that way you are not constantly like figuring out how you're going to pay for your flight this week or how you're going to, you know, do I have enough money on my credit card to pay <laughs> the school? So you continue my training that way. It just gives you that buffer. And I know I've talked to a lot of, um, people that are doing it that way. They're, they're just saving up for the next rating and then going and doing it. And it makes it easier because I can just do the training like really quick. Um, the quickest you can do it is that's saving your money. So that's definitely smart. Exactly. And the third tip, uh, for even people that are young, um, do your research, just, uh, research schools, uh, kind of get a feel for it. Talk to, try and talk Instagram makes things so easy to connect with people that try and find somebody that's gone to that school and ask them a little bit about their training. Um, and you know, about the condition of the airplanes. Uh, the reason I did my, training with this particular school is I know their track record of fixing the airplanes and maintaining them. And yes, every airplane is going to break because people don't treat things the way they should treat them. Um, especially if they don't own them, but I know this school has always taken care of their airplanes and done things the right way to make sure that the airplanes are in tip top shape and that they have like one of the best fleets, uh, in Farmingdale. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of like that you said that because you have so many options as a student, there's so many flight schools especially where you are. I mean, there are just so many airports. I mean, you might have to drive a little bit farther, but it's definitely worth the drive if you can find a really good instructor or a really good flight school that just fits you well and has good, main, and just maintains their planes really well. So I think that's a very important fact. Don't be pressured into one flight school just because someone else goes there or maybe they're the only show in your small little town. Like kind of branch out, be willing to move if this is what you really want to do. You know, like this is a big decision and what you learn first is going to be very hard to, to unlearn. You know, if you learn bad the first way, it's going to take forever to figure out how to do it the right way. So make those smart decisions, kind of do all the research you can and figure it out. Reach out to anyone on Instagram. I'm sure anyone will help you out and be willing to answer those questions. Absolutely. That's like, like I said, that's what I love about the aviation community. Everybody's looking to help yeah. each other out. 
Well, cool, Frank. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. It was a lot of fun. It's uh, it's fun talking to someone that's not necessarily an airline pilot or wanting to do airlines and kind of hearing their story and what they've gone through and just how much they love flying. And it's just so cool that aviation and flying can mean so many different things to so many different people. It can be just for fun. It can be used for their own personal aircraft. It can be used for your professional job being an airline pilot or a corporate pilot. So it's so cool that we can have this with this one thing in common and be completely different and do totally different things as our job. Absolutely, Justin. I appreciate you having me on. I'm always happy to talk about airplanes. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. AV Nation, that is a wrap on episode number 96 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Like I said earlier, if you enjoyed the episode, leave us a review. Check us out on Patreon, our website, pilottopilothq.com, and especially our Instagram. Big push for Instagram this year. Follow us, share it with your friends. I'm hoping to get a lot more Instagram followers so we can help build the brand and spread the awareness of the podcast. AV Nation, I just recorded episode number 100. Isn't that incredible? 100. And in 100 episodes, and less than 100 episodes, actually, we are getting ready to reach 700,000 total downloads since the podcast was started. Back to episode number 100, it is with my dad, which I'm really excited to share his story, talk about 9-11, how it affected his career, and the who, what, why, and when he started becoming a pilot. So I'm really excited to talk with my dad and share his story for episode number 100. Make sure you look out for that. Aviation Nation, I hope you have a great day. And as always, happy flying.